Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. They never will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Book Talk with Fran Lewis Brought to you by MJ Network in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce. And we have New York Times author John Dobbin here with Deadly Depths. Matthew Shane's mentor, renowned archaeologist, Professor Parrington Holmes, is found dead in apparent suicide. Believing it was murder, Matthew vows to find the true reason behind the death. The professor belonged to a group of notable archaeologists dubbed the Monkey's Poil. Got to know more about that. Matthew joins forces with the remaining members on a global worldwide goose chase to find the truth. And the rest, I'm not going to tell you. You have to listen to the interview. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was so fascinating because this book is about stuff that most people don't know about. So tell us about Matthew and his background and how come he would be the right one to find the answer. And archaeology was one of my favorite subjects. Oh, was it really, Fran? Good morning, uh, Fran. Uh, it, it, to tell you the truth, it was never one of mine. Um, as a matter of <laughs> fact, I came, by, I came by most of the ideas in this uh, in this book uh, as I wrote it. Um, but Matt, you asked about Matthew Shane. Matthew Shane is the uh, the lead character, and uh, this is actually our seventh. Um, in the first six, uh, we had a totally mm. different character, and he mm. was a fellow by the name of Michael Knight. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, over those six novels, I grew to love Michael Knight. We became like the mm. closest friend. You do that with your characters, you know. But uh, anyway, I, I realized that for six straight novels, uh, this poor guy barely survived the messes I got him into. So I decided, finally, this poor guy needs a personal life. So I decided to give him a sabbatical and uh, change characters. And <laughs> it didn't go far afield because Michael Knight was a criminal trial lawyer, but uh, Matthew mm. Shane is a uh, law professor. But how's that for a coincidence? Mm-hmm. So so was I for 47 years at uh, Villanova Law School. But anyway, uh, how did Matthew Shane? Matthew Shane began as Mike Shane, and there was actually mm. a sentimental reason for, for using the Mike Shane name. Because, oh, golly, it must have been 30 years, I guess about 30 years ago. Uh, mm. Out of the blue, with practically no interest in writing at all, I happened to, uh, with a little spare time, wrote a short story, and I sent it off to Mike Shane's Mystery Magazine. Mm. And uh, Mike Shane, it was a popular magazine at that time, and uh, it was uh, the it was the work of Brett Halliday. I don't know if you remember Brett Halliday. That goes back a few years, but he was a wonderful writer. But anyway. Uh, be that as it may, they bought it. A miracle. God granted me a miracle. And oddly enough, out of the blue, they bought the story, which was a miracle. I, I had no idea what I was doing. But anyway, mm-hmm. they published that story, and that just changed the lives of both my wife, Lois, and myself. We, it's been a terrific ride. It's been a roller coaster ride ever since. And we've enjoyed every minute of it. But <laughs> it's because of the uh, 
you know, the Mike Shane Mystery, Mike Shane uh, Mystery Magazine that we named the new character. Mm. Mike Shane to begin with, and then our editor said, "Whoa, wait a minute! Mike Shane is too close to uh, Michael Knight, Mike Knight, mm. and so we're going to change it to Matthew Shane." And that's basically the uh, the genesis of our of our new friend now, Matthew Shane. That that is that is great. That is so interesting, and it's funny that it's a professor that made some such an impact on him because my professor is doing something with me next Tuesday on the science of reading and education that we do debates oh, really? every couple every couple. Yeah, he's the reason I'm smart. Doctor, yeah, Doctor <laughs> Caputo. He used to say I was the smartest student that he ever had in college, and he stuck with me. So we're going to do oh, that boy, next yeah. Tuesday. But he does. He what asks the questions. I get to. I get to answer them. Unfortunately. So oh, why why does he get to call to the murder scene of Professor Holmes, and who wanted him there? Well, actually, the, what happens is, and I don't want to give too much away, but no. the book starts. You know, it's funny, funny how funny what starts a book, Fran, um, mm. and and this will be true in the future for, for the next book. I wait for some little grabber that's just going to set me adrift. You know, and I'm sure talking to writers all the time, you know that there are two kinds of writers. Uh, yeah. The pantsers and plotters, you, and I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times. Yep. The plotters who plot the whole thing out completely so they know exactly how it ends before they begin, you know, writing uh, page one. But um, I'm the, ex- the exact opposite. Uh, I get some grabber, uh, and I'll tell you what it was in this case, Get some mm-hmm. grabber that just uh, is a springboard for an initial idea. I sit down to the computer, and when I sit down, I have absolutely no idea where it's going to go, how it's going to middle, or how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. And I just rely on God to put the uh, put the ideas into me, and then I put them down on paper. But in this particular case, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing. This goes. This must go back 30, 35 years. Mm. Uh, I was. Uh, at Villanova Law School, lunchtime, so I started walking across the campus uh, for lunch, and son of a gun, I hear a student drive by, he rolls down the window, and he yells to another student, and I'll never forget the line. I don't know why, but I'll never forget the line. Hey, Pete, no class today. The old man died. Oh, God. And it just, yeah, it just, tried, boy, it hit me. I thought, that's the crudest, that's the most dismissal. Uh, uh, you know, uh, way of, uh, of referring to, a, you know, his professor's death for the love of Pete. This is a man who died. Anyway, mm. it, struck, it struck me so uh, emotionally that it stayed with me for 30 years. So when I was looking for the beginning of the new novel, I thought, son of a gun, I'm going to start with that. So the first line of the new novel is, as you know, hey, Pete, no class today. The old man died. Well, the old man in this particular case was uh, Professor Barrington Holmes. Uh, do you mm-hmm. love that name, by the way? I, I, I yes, I do. In... Sort of a touch of Sherlock fellow... Holmes. <laughs> yeah, I, well, the Holmes part was for Sherlock Holmes. But I met a, we met a fellow on, uh, in Barbados on the beach, and his mm-hmm. he mentioned introduced My name's Barrington Holmes. I thought, boy, what a classic name for a, for a mystery story. So anyway, the professor became Barrington Holmes, and... uh, My lead character, Matthew, now uh, hears uh, early in the morning that that Professor Holmes, who has become his substitute father, by the way, which is a theme that seems to be repetitive in in most of my writing. I go Mm -hmm. back to that that, grandfather grandson uh, uh, relationship an awful lot. (laughs) I'm not sure why. But anyway, um, 
he hears that uh, the professor has is dead, and worse than that, it is uh, it was a suicide, and he knows mm. in his he knows him so well. Not a chance. Professor Holmes uh, he loved life beyond anything, and uh, every minute of life was a joy to him. He would never commit suicide, and that. That brings him into uh, uh, into the play. The, the president of the university calls him in to uh, basically to protect the university from scandal. But uh, yeah. when Matthew Holmes gets involved uh, in the case, uh, it is for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to fulfill his promise to the wife of Professor Holmes to prove that it was clearly not a suicide. And that's uh, that's a, 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 uh, there was a reason that the president called him in, and that was in his background. And again, it, it's similar to mine. He was in the Air Force, uh, mm. but in uh, Shane's case, he was in uh, the investigative branch. He was in uh, intelligence, and so he's had a uh, experience in investigating criminal matters. I love his wife. I really do. So he goes to see Professor Barrington's wife. And he left a note. So what is the maroon file? What's the meaning of it? And what Uh, is the the Monkey Paw Society and how it links to his death? Oh, that is so cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you, friend. You know, that's one of the joys of writing fiction uh, and not, not, uh, you know, true crime. Uh, The the joy is build your own world. Uh, You know, you, you... Build your world, you build the setting, and you populate it with people uh, that you that you like, people that are villains. Uh, and there's only one requirement for them all: for the people that you like, you they've got to be. There's got to be a reason that you really like those people that you're putting into your world. For the people that uh, that you dis- dislike, there's got to be one requirement: they've got to be interesting. They've got to yeah. grab your imagination, have an interesting background. And uh, that background then adds to the color of the, you know, of the whole novel. Um, but um, in any event, that's that's basically how uh, how the Maroons came into this. <laughs> Again, when I started, when I sat down to to write that initial line, I had never heard of the Maroons. Had you ever heard of the Maroons before? No. Yeah, my, it, it, 99 out of 100 people that I've talked to since have never heard of the Maroons. But you remember my requirement that they be interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when uh, when uh, uh, there was a suicide note left, a purported suicide note left, and it refers to his maroon file. So when, mm-hmm. Matthew, when Matthew visits the wife of Professor Holmes, he asks her, by the way, uh, did he leave a file? Did, did he color code his files? And she said, no, uh, but um, that word maroon has a different meaning. And then I really did some research on the Maroons, and they, they are a fascinating group of people. Uh, yeah. What I found was in Jamaica, in Jamaica, when the British finally took Jamaica from the Spanish, one of the first things they did was they abolished slavery. They freed all the slaves. And that didn't last very long because they realized that Jamaica runs on sugar plantations. That's the entire mm. economy. And sugar plantations are terribly labor uh, demanding, so the result was that they they initiated slavery in a in a, a vigorous and and a uh, boy a, a, a difficult way. But they began importing their slaves uh, from the Ashanti tribe, which is in northeast northwest actually uh, Africa, 
And it's, it's odd because the Spanish had actually uh, passed a law against importing the Ashanti as slaves. And the reason was mm. because they were so rebellious. You could not conquer them. You couldn't make slaves of them. And they never did. The Ashanti never considered themselves slaves. They were simply doing what they were required to do mm. by the man with but the, the British went ahead and they imported these Ashanti. And by the way, the uh, name Maroon comes from mm. the Spanish name for them, which was Cimarron. And Cimarron means mm. unconquerable, undefeatable. Uh, and, uh, the British uh, learned their lesson because the, the, uh, uh, the now slaves, these Ashanti, actually now called Maroons, uh, there, were, there were constant rebellions. And uh, in the course of these rebellions, many of the slaves escaped, and they escaped and went north to uh, into the Blue Mountains of Jamaica, established their own community in uh, in Jamaica. And uh, what held them together was their fears, um, their, mm. their they tenets of their belief, and uh, <laughs> I'm rambling on here. Stop me anytime you get bored. Um, I'm not bored. But Oh, good. Okay. The uh, the Ashanti had a had a, uh, a great history of having women uh, leaders, and mm. they had one one in particular, and she was called Nanny by the uh-huh. Maroons. Nanny Nanny came over. She was uh, from Western Africa. She came over on a slave ship, but she was never a slave. They say she came over to free her people, and she came over to Jamaica, and she became the leader of the Maroons. This is a fascinating. This is why the fascinating history uh, grabbed me, and I, I uh, and thoroughly enjoyed writing about it and putting it into the novel. When she became their leader in what became Nanny Town in the Blue Mountains. Yeah north of, of uh, Port Royal in Jamaica, the British Army attacked their stronghold for eight decades, for 80 years, under the, uh, under the guidance, under the, the guerrilla tactics given to them by Nanny. This small band of slaves with, uh, with only a, a few rifles that they could steal, practically no food, steady food supply, they held the, the strongest army in the world, the British Army, off, for eight decades, um, and uh, mm. some years later, in 1976, Jamaica declared six national heroes in their entire history. One of them was a woman, and that was Nanny. Um, so uh, what I found was the uh, the Maroons, who now have spread out, uh, they're, they're up as far as northern Canada, and mm. there is a pocket of just south of New Orleans, in the Bayou country, which is another fascinating uh, place to write about, and uh, so I was able to tie them into the into the novel in that way. That's a bit of a roundabout answer. Actually, I'm reading a book um, about the Bayou next week. Echoes of Bayou, and that was interesting. A lot of people are writing about that. I'm learning an awful lot. I have to tell you. Oh boy, I can I can imagine. Have you ever read anything by a wonderful uh, mystery writer, James Lee Burke? Yeah, he, a long uh, time ago. Yeah, J- James Lee Burke has a wonderful character. Uh, Robichaux is his name, and he's an ex police officer. But he lives in the Bayou Country, so he writes a lot about the Bayou Country of uh, down there in New Orleans, which grabbed my attention first. It's a it's a fascinating place to live with because of the mixture of beliefs of the people, including the Maroons that live in that area now. It's it's amazing. It's hard sometimes for me to get um, 
people you know people just send me their books it depends on the on you know uh-huh. who the publicist is and whatever and it gets annoying because somebody said to me oh this author is not my author if you want to buy the book not going to happen sorry not me <laughs> I can understand not going to happen what oh, can God. I say well, you're very well known though you're very well known I'm surprised I would I would have done it in a heartbeat if um, if our publicist the uh, the um, uh, you you know probably know Gina and Wendy of uh, uh, Partners in Crime tours. Yeah, they did and, my uh, they did my tour also. If you can call what I oh, did, did a tour. They? Oh, did Yeah, that's great. They're wonderful. And people. a lot just, of people didn't like my tour. They didn't like um, they didn't like what I wrote because I write from the point of view of the dead person behind the grave. Oh, that sounds interesting. It is. It Boy, is that's... interesting. And the last one is about people that were wrongly accused, telling their story from the grave, and five. Ooh. Five of the stories are true. And Boy, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, Boy, I I thought idea. it was very good because you know what, it's different. But and then the other half were people whose voices were silenced, and like I said, five of them were true, and two of them were my grandmother's whose voices were silenced. But I, I got some very strange reviews. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, and I, I've okay. developed a thick skin, so I I don't even care. So let me send that. Every time it happens, you know, you say to yourself, hey, not everybody is going to love your work. But, uh, no. you know, it, it's down deep in your heart, it still hurts. It, you know, it's well, funny. When you, write, I know. when you write, you put yourself out there, don't you? You, uh, yeah. you almost like no other professional than, than perhaps acting. Uh, but you put your ideas, your heart, your whole heart and soul out there, laid bare by what you write because it reflects who you are, and um, you know it's you're vulnerable. And uh, I know, especially no when way. you're writing reviews and people comment. I went on WordPress this morning. I have over five thousand people that have been reading my reviews. I have no clue why. They are. Wow. Yeah. That's well, fantastic. I guess this um this one this Renee Pernault, there are a couple of people get that are dead afterwards. A few more members yeah, of are. the monkeys, yeah. So what about um the guy I wasn't sure about this one, Kwame? And Keiko. Yeah. Right. Um again, you know, it's it's a matter of populating your world. Yeah. And you probably noticed this too, Fran. Uh, when you sit down and you uh, and you're writing fiction especially you enter that world as soon as you turn on your computer and, uh, you know, you're ready to type, you're ready to, to put down words. You are heart and soul totally mentally in that world. And yeah. it's a world that you've populated, hopefully, with people that are so fascinating that the ideas, the plot just springs to life. I, I believe God gives me the ideas for the, the, uh, the plot lines and the people. But anyway, um, you were talking about Kwame, first of all. Uh, yeah. Anytime, anytime that I use la- names of foreign people, I always look it up to be sure that they are actually the true names mm. of people. You mentioned Keiko, who is a uh, is one of the Maroons. He's a young yeah. fellow who works for one of the uh, Monkey's Paws, and I'll explain Monkey's Paws in a minute. But yeah. he's one of the people who works for the Monkey's Paws in down in uh, in uh, New Orleans, south of New Orleans. Um, I looked that up, and you remember. When Keiko is called in uh, by the uh, by the local law enforcement officer there, and he's going to interview him in regard to the crime, hopefully to find it to be a, a suicide so that it, it limit the paperwork. 
Um, anyway, he says, and what is your name? And Keiku says, my name is Keiku. I was born on a Wednesday. And he wonders, that's interesting information, but who cares? And the answer is I looked that up before I ever used the word Keiku, the name Keiku, and Keiku mm-hmm. means born on a Wednesday. And mm-hmm. then I realized that runes, the, you know, the day you were born has a great significance in terms of influencing, you know, where and how your life is going to go. Mm-hmm. It's um, like there's an old poem. Do you remember an old poem? We were trying to think of this the other night. Uh, Monday's child is fair of face. Yes. Uh huh. You remember that Tuesday child is something or other, and uh, it goes all through the days of the week. So it's, yep. it's funny. We we have a little bit of that uh, that kind of belief too. Anyway, I, uh, I that actually, was I actually had the kids in my classes in the, read it so they would understand that I was perfect. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's great. Well, you got me believing it. <laughs> uh, I don't even know. It's it's funny because my my mom was probably the one of the meanest persons on this earth to me. She was tough. And really, if I did, if everything she did, she was different to everybody else. She expected me to do everything right. So if I didn't get a hundred on a test, I, I got ninety nine. I got grounded, and I got to do it over, for real. Oh my! Oh yeah. My, that's a- yeah, she was she was tough. I had everything had to be her way. And after a while, when I went into college, I go now I'm going to do it my way. So sort oh, of. My. So how did yeah, that, how this did, cake. How do you think that affected your life? That kind of demand, that kind of because that's an impossible demand. It gave me migraine headaches when I used to take it. The, taking the test, I knew I could pass. I had oh. migraine headaches when I had to get the grade back, and it was oh. it was tough. And even when I went for my third and fourth masters, I was going to Manhattan, and my mother put me up from school because I don't drive. And she said, "I remember you said you were getting a test." I said, "I'm too old for you to monitor." And I showed her the test. So she yeah. said, "How come you got 98?" I said, "No, I got 108." They had to give a pocket, you know, do it on a curb because I was the only person in the class that passed. That shut up. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, she she that's that's why I wrote my children's book, Sisters Four Sisters, Two Sisters from the Bronx, and my brother-in-law, my husband's brother said you were abused. I go, yeah, I know. You know what? It just yeah. made me understand that people make mistakes. You and are that, boy, you are right. You are right. God, has, uh, nobody ever explained that to your mother apparently. Or maybe no, maybe because she my was father looking. never said a word to her. He just said whatever she said you have to do. And after a while, I just, you know, used to stay in my room and study, you know, and she would test me. Oh, and my then gosh. if I wrote a composition, she would send me to my aunt to fix it. And oh, then I would really? forget to go there. <laughs> so, Uh-oh. yeah. So oh, th- this is interesting, this book. How did you create the five clues? And after we meet several players, what is the role of Mr. Mohammed, the river alien, and I didn't. I don't know about him. Mr. Who? Mr. Mahmed. Who's that? Mr. Mehmed. Oh, Mahmed. Yes. Oh, yeah, Mahmed. And Barnes. Um, I don't like him at all. I wasn't sure about you that. You don't one. like him. Uh, well, wasn't there's sure. Probably, there's probably reason. He has got a background, as as you yeah. as you understand. And I don't want to give away too much of the book. No, don't. But one thing I loved about Mr. Mehmed is that he drew uh, Michael to a, yeah. a fascinating place, and that was Marseille. 
And yeah. I was able to uh, to tell a few things, uh, look into the history of Marseille in France, and tell a few things about that. And uh, and he was also far different from any other character in the book. And he was mm. also, and again, I don't want to give away too much, but he was the he was the focal point. He drew together all of the lines um, of inquiry of of uh, Michael of Matthew rather. And uh, he brought together all of the disparate characters mm. that, uh, that are in this story. You, you remember, one of the things that I had intended to do almost right from the beginning was I wanted to blend together into one plot incidents that occur in three separate centuries. And mm. it, it's like your mom. It was like a test for me to see if I could do it, keep everyone straight, keep all of the names straight, and keep the thread of the plot understandable <laughs> by the reader. And as you as you remember, it starts with the Aztecs in uh, the 15th century, and something that happens in the Aztecs. Now we jump ahead two centuries, and we come into the another age that absolutely draws me in. It fast, I love to write about it. I love to talk about it. And that's the golden age of piracy in the Caribbean. And one pirate in particular, you probably noticed, was Captain Henry Morgan. But anyway, mm-hmm. from there... We- to the current times, and that's where we get involved with the Maroons. And uh, so basically you've got three, the, the incidents arising in three separate centuries that flow, uh, you know, in the line of the plot, but what draws it all together is uh, uh, Mr. Mehmed in uh, Marseille, France. And uh, so that was the reason I, I put him in there. That also gave me a chance to uh, give him a daughter. And yeah. uh, it enabled me to put a little romance into the, into the story. So, well, you you're know, lucky I, that I, 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 the only reason why I remember everything you write, you have to see what I did to the poor book. And I, <laughs> when I review a book, I underline, circle, put X's, write little notes next to myself, fold in pages, and I go, wait, wait oh. we're going to do this in the third paragraph, we're going to do this in the second one. And nobody wants to read the books after I finish them. Be, be, <laughs> you, li- you literally can't. Oh. Read it, except that my dermatologist's wife is getting this one in the pile for him next week because she wants to read it. Oh, well, that's great. Oh, I'm glad we've got one more reader then. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Boy, I wonder what your books in college must have looked like. You have no idea. And my mother (laughs) used to say to me, why did you – it's the only way – I have a photographic memory. I remember, okay. And – I just forget it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just underline and whatever. And I'll never forget the very first test I took for my reading masses. I got 24.5, not 25. And I went up to oh the professor. That's the one I'm doing the show with next week. I go, wait a second, what did I leave out? He said that answer should have had, you know, like three more lines. I said, good. Now that I did it, changed my grade, and he did. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> that's great. Because the answer was right. He just said, why didn't you put that in? I said, because I ran out of room. So we've got Morgan hid something from, it was Dylan, and he paid for his life. So when Matthew and Kwame are faced where the clues take them, what do they, what do they learn on this quest all, the, all of a sudden, everyone, all of them? Are you, do you mean the, uh, the, uh, the, ultimate, uh, uh, the ultimate finding of the, of the quest? Yeah, well, uh, sort of. Mm, you know what? Uh, uh, Fran, I'm going to skirt that one. You know, when I was okay, teaching, we'll leave it out. So, who is who are Roger and and Wayne, and what oh, do they well, have we, to do with Matthew's quest? 
two characters. You asked me about two. You were, you were uh, let's see, Wayne, uh, Wayne Barnes was one of them. And the yeah. other one that I paired with him was Roger Van Allen. And yeah. uh, these are two parts. I, I better explain uh, to the folks who haven't read the book that um, what we have here, what, what uh, brings all of the events of these three centuries down into the current day, is the meeting is a, an association of five archaeologists. And they're, they're five yeah. adventurers, like, like five Indiana Jones put together. And they get together uh, once a year for a poker game at whatever the, wherever the convention mm-hmm. of archaeologists for that particular year. They get together, and then somebody appears and introduces them to this quest. And that somebody is somebody you could cast as the ancient mariner. He is a man of the sea. But anyway, mm-hmm. he delivers to them the five clues, and but it pulls them together, but it keeps them apart because he gives one clue to each of the five and says, yeah. you are the clue, but you are not to disclose to any of the others what your clue is until the moment comes when, you know, in in the order of the five, uh, you're going to actually execute the clues. So there's a certain amount of trust in, in, in trusting this to the five. There's a certain amount of distrust in not letting them put their clues together so that they can actually, uh, you know, individually go uh, on a quest. But they remember they named themselves, and it was because this ancient mariner said... <laughs> said, uh, you know, you people are like the monkey's paws, and then he leaves. Mm. So they adopted that as their as their title. They call themselves the monkey's paws, and the reason they did that. And I wonder how many folks will will guess before I tell them why we call this this group of adventuring archaeologists the monkey's paws. It there was a uh, a wonderful short story, a brilliant short story. As a matter of fact, it's a classic. It was written by W. W. Jacobs back in 1902, and it was called The Monkey's Paw. It was actually made into a um, into a half-hour show, I think, by Alfred Hitchcock some years ago, which called it to my attention. And then I read the story, and uh, and I highly recommend the story. By the way, uh, you you really should, it's a classic horror story. Just don't read it at bedtime. It is it is really frightening. But anyway. Um, the, they adopt the name The Monkey's Paws because the theme of the short story is be careful what you wish for. Yeah. And it, that becomes, that becomes uh, uh, prophetic as one by one each of the, uh, archaeologists, the archaeologists begin dropping off. That got me, I know. I felt so bad they were trying to do something something right. So... Tell us more about my other fascinating character was Nana, Nanny, in Nanny Town, the older lady that helped him. Why did she help them? A nanny, um, Nanny being the uh, the head of the, she was the woman who was the head of the Maroons. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, Nanny has an interesting history. There is both fact and, fact and myth uh, to, uh, to Nanny. And, uh, this is among the Maroons. And there are many who still believe, many Maroons who still uh, still actually believe this. Uh, there was a time, you remember, that these Maroons were escaped slaves, and they escaped yeah. to this mountain, the Blue Mountain, and set up their, their town, which they called Nanny Town. And she is, she is now giving them the guerrilla tactics through which they hold off the British Army for eight decades, in the course of which, by the way, thousands of British soldiers perished, less than 100 of the Maroons perished during that, uh, that period. She was that brilliant. 
But there was a time when, as I said, they had, they had no steady food supply. So there was a time when they ran out of food on this mountaintop, and they were bordering on starvation, and Nanny was about to give up, about to concede, and she yeah. had a dream. And the dream was... Uh, she fulfilled the dream when she woke up. She found three. Now this is the this is the belief. She found three pumpkin seeds in her pocket, uh, mm-hmm. and she those pumpkin seeds in an area that is still called Pumpkin Hill on the top of Blue Mountain. Um, and the following morning, they had sprouted into enormous pumpkins, and it fed the maroons and gave them the strength and the courage and and the the sustenance to go on fighting the British again for 80 years. So they believed that Nanny had super, uh, superhuman. Uh, she was what's called an obeya woman, O B E A H, an obeya woman. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that means a, a woman who has supernatural powers. And they believed that although she died, she died in mm, I think what 1732, something like that. <laughs> she actually died, but the, the many of the maroons believe that she is still alive, that she did not die that she is still among them and still guiding them and still being their, their inspiration. So I found her to be a, uh, be a fascinating character. That she is, she is a fascinating. Where am I going here? My, my paper keeps dropping. Say there, people. I didn't say it. Okay. <laughs> so now we have another character. Everybody likes Matthew, which gives him an edge because everybody wants to help him. But why did he yeah. get close to Angelique and why didn't he give up? He just kept going. He just kept going. That, as a matter of fact, I think that's that's the character. That was a characteristic of um, of uh, my my first character, Michael Knight, and it carries over to this character. It's it's um, it's one of the few things that 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 really uh, joins the two, and that is uh, a a uh, a sense a sense of honor, a total sense of honor. Um, and in the course of this, as you know, Matthews, he's just a college professor. Uh, yeah. He's had some experience in the Air Force, but basically he's just a college professor. And now all of a sudden he's called into this situation, situation where he's investigating danger with dangerous people. He's investigating uh, what purports to be a suicide, and he gets drawn in deeper and deeper to the Maroons and to the, uh, you know, in, in uh, uh, down in and up in Montreal, and uh, and in Jamaica, and in Barbados, and he's in danger every place that he goes. But there is only one thing that he cannot do, and the one thing he cannot do is quit. And why can't he quit? Because he has given his word. He gave his word to the wife of uh, Barrington Holmes until he could prove that it, so he had not committed suicide. And uh, that that sense of honor uh, is what characterizes it runs it runs to his core, and I think that's what people see in him, and uh, they trust him, mm-hmm. and on with him when ordinarily they uh, they wouldn't want anything to do with what he's about. Well, before I forget, I don't want to forget. Next Tuesday at ten, Dr. George Cavuto and guess who me? We're going to talk about the science of reading, the pros and cons of the new reading program, the new reading style of teaching children phonics, phonemes, um, graphemes, and all the all the skills that they need to teach reading in a very unique way. And I have my own feeling about it, so he's going to give me his feeling about it. But we both agree that I don't think half the teachers in, the new, in America know what it is because they don't even know that their state signed on. They need to be trained. So hopefully this will help. 
On the 10th, Hidden Places. On the 15th, um, Echoes from the Bio. And on the 17th, Brian Freeman, The Born Defiance. I'm excited about that. And on the 21st, yeah, he he does all of his uh, first one. I get the first one. On the 21st, we have Patrick Moore, Jim Nesbeth, Vincent Zandri, and yeah, that's good for him to forget. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, oh, and T.J. O'Connor probably. We're going to talk about um, characters that are crazy. I don't know the time. And David Putnam. On the 23rd, Cindy <laughs> McDonald. And on the 28th, Blind Justice. And that's just August. Because September, I'll be starting out with Chess Gerritsen on the 20th. And a few others before. Sounds like interesting people you you link up with here. Oh, I was shocked. Yesterday I got an email from Gary Braver, who did the last one close to me with Tess Gerrinson, and he asked for an interview in October. And who am I to say no? I would never do that. And yeah, <laughs> David David's new book, Diabolical. Thank God for Ocean View Publishing. That's why I found out about yours. Yeah, I got great. that, and that's... then Gina said something about the interview, and I go like, wait a minute, I think I read that already. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, they, Did Ocean View also send a book? They, they send great. everything. I don't even ask for it. It was just in the mail. And his, Gary oh, Braver's book was, was Rule of Evil. I'm reading that now. And if the postman doesn't bring me something, I'm going to really be sad. So, oh, my. Why, you know, he had one more you mission, uh, Matthew. Yeah. So why did he take Wayne with him? And how did you create the scenes that gave me heart palpitations? Seriously. Oh. I understand. Oh, by the way, I, I just have to mention one thing because you mentioned Ocean sure. View Publishing. Oh, they have I love the them. Grandest, and, uh, I do too. And it's the grandest team of uh, Bob and Pat Gosson. Uh, Bob is uh, Bob and Pat Gosson. You know, they're both doctors actually, mm-hmm. and they both worked for Johnson and Johnson. And then when they retired, they uh, needed something to do, and uh, they they happened to go to a writers conference. And uh, when Bob and Pat got together again for uh, they were a married couple, but when they got together for lunch, Bob said, Pat, I know what we're going to do now. We're going to establish a publishing house. And thank God they did. And that was back in the, oh, golly, the early 90s. And they have built an empire. It is, it's a wonderful outfit. But you couldn't find nicer people to work for. You, you know, I'll give you one example. I have a friend mm-hmm. who um, wrote for, uh, he did six novels for one of the big publishers, and I don't know how he stood it, because he was a practicing lawyer, and uh, when he would hand in a book, they would say, thank you very much, the publishing date is such and such, and the next due date is one year from today. One year from today, you've got to have a finished novel. And Bob and Pat have never put a uh, deadline. They say, make it the best you can, make it the best book you can, and when you've mm-hmm. got that, then. They're, they're just wonderful people in every respect. And the people they just do um, e- they just do murder mysteries and stuff, so they wouldn't do what I wrote. They wouldn't do horror. No, I can't. That's right. They do primarily uh, uh, adventure, uh, you know, thrillers, that sort of thing. But, I know, uh, and I'm getting. Anyway. I, by the time I've read over thousands of them, I should be able to write one. But I, w- I wouldn't even <laughs> attempt to do what you guys do. So hopefully, hopefully, I'll be able to sit down one day and finish the next. I actually started another one. And it's it's Good. different. No one wants to be a, a character in this one, but maybe I have a few people that deserve to be. What can I say? So uh, how, did, <laughs> how did you, you create know, you, the? 
it, it's a okay. it's called mirror image. You look at yeah, your face in the mirror, and it's your alter ego, yeah. and the alter ego is going to tell you that you did something that's been awful, and you just look at the mirror and go, yeah, and a, the mirror is going to make sure that whatever you did to someone is done to you, and if you don't repent, you wind up as a face in the mirror. That's my oh, brilliant boy. idea. For, wow. That's Here's my sick idea. idea for this week. <laughs> That. I love that. It, it uh, smacks of my favorite saying, what goes around comes around. Exactly. Boy, that's great. You know, you, know, you triggered so, an idea uh, a second ago when you said, uh, start start another one. When I first started, you remember I sold that first short story to uh, Mike Shane's Mystery Magazine? Yeah. And as I mentioned, it was a fluke because I had no idea what I was doing. And to prove that it was a fluke, for the next six years, I wrote short story after I really was grabbed by it. I wrote short story after short story. I could not give them away. I got mm. more. I got enough rejection slips to paper our house. And um, finally, the day came when I sent one. I was sending them to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine because I figure if I'm mm-hmm. going to get a rejection slip, it should have some class at least. And I, sure enough, I got another rejection slip. Uh, Eleanor Sullivan was the editor, and God love her. Do you know what? She, on the rejection slip, she wrote in the margin, you're getting close, don't quit. And, boy, was that a shot in the arm. So I really put time into the next one, and she bought the next one, and she bought the next 30. And that led to six novels and, and so on. But during that period, during that period of time, mm-hmm. when I was just getting rejections and getting more and more discouraged, it was my wife, Lois, who kept giving me the giving me the adrenaline to... Uh, uh, to uh, uh, carry on, and she had a great idea, and her idea was this. When I would write a short story, at the moment that I'd get home from dropping it in the mail, knowing it would bring me a rejection slip, as soon as I got home, Lois would say, start your next one. Start your next one right, right now before you get the rejection slip. Because if you start it, and it was true, and you're halfway through it, when the rejection slip comes, you're going to finish it, carry on and she just knew that someday someday we were going to see the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel here anyway, well i wish i had somebody book? like that on my side i wrote my first book and because my oh, sister said I was be- my sister said i was becoming a pouch potato my mother had alzheimer's so i had to retire early because no one wanted to deal with the alzheimer's and the and the doctors and all the nurses and all the home care and medicare and all that stuff i'm really good at that stuff too and my oh sister my. said, why don't you write a book? I said, you're going to be so sorry that you ever opened your mouth and said that. So I wrote My Name is Bertha, which was published by a publishing company that we don't want to ever mention because they were the worst. And she said, oh. um, I said, you're going to be sorry because I'm going to write about growing up with you in the South Bronx. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and she I edited the book, and she really she... did a great job, and I miss her. And oh, good. She, I and mean, then I wrote the you... second one, Bertha Speaks Out, which is about my mother, and Bertha Fights yeah. Back, which is about some stuff that happened when I was teaching. But basically I said, Marsha Joyce, you're going to be sorry. What can I say? <laughs> so oh. <laughs> how did you create the final ending, and where do you see Matthew next? Because I got eye strained reading your book, because so I just sat down and read it until I was done. Uh-huh. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, that's what I do. That's... I do that with only the ones that I really like, and then there's one that is written by a famous person, I won't say who, and it took me too long to read it. So sad. 
Oh my gosh. Hey, I really appreciate you saying that though. That's very that's very nice. That's wonderful. Um you know, I in all of this wonderful stuff, I lost the question. Uh, you were asking me How about... How did you create the final scenes, and why did he take Wayne on the last mission? Oh, that's right, that's right, too. Um, Wayne Barnes, uh, you know, I, I seldom use... Well, no, I, I, I seldom use real-life characters in, in total. I don't, you know, take people out of real life and plop them yeah. in. Um, but I do sometimes love their names, and... Uh, and sometimes I just love the people, too, and, and want to use their name in a book. The, the funny thing is, sometimes, and I don't want to give too much away here, but sometimes, yeah. and I, uh, I'll give you an example, Roger Van Allen, for example. Roger was a, uh, was a professor with me at Villanova. Uh, he taught at the college, and um, I, I would have lunch with Roger occasionally, but I've always admired his name. I think there is a, a, a beautiful lilt, of uh, something of quality in the name Roger Van Allen, and there's a strength to it. So I always mm-hmm. knew that someday I was going to use his name. He is one of, the, one of the nicest people you would ever run into. You couldn't say a bad word about Roger Van Allen, but in the book, mm, not so much, not so much. So every time I run into it, and then once I've used him as a villain, uh, I never know quite how he's going to take it or how they're going to take it. And uh, now every time I meet Roger, I call him Roger the Villain, and he just laughs. So I know he's taking it well. But Roger and and Wayne Barnes is a real character, too. Wayne was a uh, student of mine. uh, When I first began teaching, this would be back in the early 70s, and Wayne became one of the prime investigators as a uh, an FBI agent. I didn't realize it until we had lunch with, with Wayne a while ago, but to make FBI agent isn't just, you don't just apply and all of a sudden they take you in and yeah. make you an agent. This is very difficult to be, uh, to be put into the ranks of those who are called FBI agents. Um, and he has had a, a tremendous career in, uh, as an investigator with the FBI. The stories that he tells, they, he tells them in rapid concussion in a, at a lunch so that, um, uh, you know, one after the other, rapid succession, so that uh, I just I don't have time to write them down because every one of them would make a book. But he's a, he's a great character, so I, I've always thought of using his name. And, again, you couldn't find a finer guy, but um, mm, in the book, mm, not so much, not so much. So, anyway. No, I was only we... a character in somebody's book once. And she made me bad because I was the book reviewer that killed the person that wanted to steal. I sold the person's book so I would get credit for publishing it. That's what she did. Oh, really? No. Yeah, she, and she called me Fabolina. <laughs> Fabolina. So I said, Karen, you could use my real name. It's okay. I don't care. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think the, the greatest thing is when they use your name. And the other great thing is yesterday um, – I, Dr. Gloria Mitchell is a friend. She's on Facebook. She's a very powerful person, and I actually must have written a blurb for her book, uh, Don't No One No One to Trust. So she's going to quote oh. me when the book oh, comes really? out. Oh, really? I don't great. mind getting that's... I don't mind getting quoted. So, I, wh- where are you going to put Matthew next, and what what what's going to happen to him? Ah, well, that's that. You know what? Uh, it's going to depend on when. All of a sudden, I see something that uh, just grabs my attention. I'll give you an example. Uh, before I wrote the book, uh, Fatal Odds, I had mm-hmm. absolutely I no I idea of what I Did you, you read it? Did you really? Think, oh, my God. I think I reviewed one of your books before that, yeah. 
Well, then you you probably remember that that book was about, and it just came out of a story. There was a little blurb on the seventh page of the Philadelphia Inquirer, and uh, it talked about what has become, believe it or not, it has become the second most money-producing, most profit-producing criminal activity in the world. And every organized crime, practically every organized crime, and practically every uh, terrorist organization yep. engages in a heavy way without anybody practically knowing about it. And it is the trade, the illicit trade in endangered wild animals. Believe it or not, it is a phenomenally profitable uh, business. And mm -hmm. we, we lose uh, to extinction uh, species of animals every day in, in large numbers. And it's all because of this, uh, you know, this trade. So that I read that article and I thought, again, that that might be an interesting subject to write a novel about to make people aware of what's going on. And uh, that became Fatal Odds. I just but, found oh. the, the review that I wrote. But you know what I'm I was trying to do? And some, one of the authors, I won't say which one is supposed to get the person in touch with me, but he hasn't. I would really like to do something on this fentanyl thing and and how to stop it because it's been on the news of the, the uh, one of the governors in uh, in Waikiki and uh, Putnam and stuff they've been talking about the fentanyl and how to get it off the streets and the other thing oh, yes. is uh, one of the towns is actually doing something for people that have mental illness which is another great topic for people that oh, yeah. that they're having police go around with a 911 for people that need help with mental illness and, and giving them the help they need and I don't know how to contact it. That is, to me, that is the best. That is the best. Yeah. But drug addiction is something that bothers me because when I taught, I saw the the uh, drug dealers outside my school, and I was brave enough to get to tell them to get lost because I'm a you. little person. Good. Yeah, they did. They did. I said either I dial nine one one or you get your butt out of here because you're not going to touch my kids. And yeah, you, you it was do that. not a not a neat crowd. Boy, no, it wasn't. No, it was horrible. And you know, there was a prostitution ring, too. It even got even better. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, that uh, human slavery business. I remember in law school, uh, the mm. uh, people discussing, the professors discussing, crimes yeah. without victims. And crimes yeah. without victims are, for example, prostitution, gambling, and alcohol. And so on. Prostitution is far. It is the furthest thing in the world from a crime without a victim. And I'm not oh, talking that about the about the girls who are that it is pure slavery they are uh, they uh and and it's the very worst kind of slavery and it exists uh it is so rampant in this country it is it is the extreme not uh, a crime without a victim uh and i wish something could be done about it you know you mentioned fentanyl there, there was an interesting article recently and i think it was in pennsylvania somewhere where the investigators are checking uh, the flow of uh, uh, of sewage in various yeah. communities. The flow of sewage, because from the sewage they can detect where fentanyl is most, uh, you know, most heavily being used, and then mm -hmm. they can focus on those uh, areas. It's an odd way to conduct an investigation, but apparently it works more effective than a lot of others. Hopefully it will, because you know what, the kids they need more drug education in school. They need yes. to have more more people out there. They need to make them understand that fentanyl is dangerous. 
I mean, yeah. I have, I don't want to say who, I have a cousin that takes oxycodone, morphine, dilaudin, Percocet, and Vicodin, and Neurontin every day. Wow. Real. Boy, that must be serious pain they're killing. Yeah, wow. and she said that they give her the what prescription. What a cocktail that is. Yeah, I, not me. Uh, the, the biggest thing I'll ever take is emotion. That's it. And she bad. doesn't understand why her blood comes out really bad. And I said, yeah, I don't mind. So well, before we end, we have a few minutes. What is next for Matthew? And if Matthew oh, could boy. change one thing, what would he do? Would he change anything? I tell you what, let me, let me get to that one second. Uh, in terms of what uh, where we're going to see Matthew next, you know, I don't even know that I'm going to – I put Matthew at the end of this story. You remember, he was in a yeah. pretty happy place, uh, given, yeah. <laughs> given the year that he had had just prior to that, which was, uh, you know, out of the ordinary for a law professor. So I've got him in a fairly happy place. So it's going to depend on two things. First, what's my next grabber? What is the next yeah. thing like a, a line like, hey, Pete, you know, no class today, they – Professor Dye. Um, and I heaven knows where it's going to come from. I depend on God to give me the answers, and it will come eventually. But it's also got to wait till I'm ready for it. And yeah. I, it took years to research and write um, Deadly Depths uh, because there's a lot of historic research that went into it. And uh, so it leaves you pretty well played out. It leaves you pretty depleted. Uh, so I have an idea that the next thing that I'll get involved with is a wonderful medium, and that is the medium of short stories. I love writing mm -hmm. short stories. They come to an end within two weeks, and you send them off, and we've had great success in, uh, with uh, the wonderful two wonderful editors, uh, the editor of Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, Janet Hutchings, and the editor of Alfred Hitchcock's man uh, Magazine. Um, anyway, um, that's probably, it'll probably be a short story. That, by the way, is a great testing ground. If I were to come up with a new character, for Lou lead character, one of the best testing grounds to get to meet him, to get to know him, to get inside of him, is to write a short story about him. Mm -hmm. So that that may be uh, that may be what's next. We're still waiting. Uh, oh, some years ago, a wonderful producer, um, Eileen Maisel, of uh, she was with New Line Productions, and then she and three other producers split off and formed their own uh, production company. And um, she's uh, located in London. She set up her office in London, the others in Hollywood. And she fell in love with our two characters. And uh, so from the time we met, she said, I am determined I'm going to put those two characters on the big screen. We're going to make a movie. Well, then COVID came along, and uh, then the, uh, the current strike, you know, the writer's strike and so yeah, on. That's really sad. But in the meantime, she came up with a brilliant idea, and that is more people are watching series on television than are going to the movies these days. Yeah. Uh, and so let's make it into a television series rather than a movie. And, boy, Lois and I were on board with that immediately. So that that is one of the things that we're looking forward to. Uh, uh, she's, she's back at it now, uh, and as soon as the writer's strike ends, she'll be uh, lining up a screenplay writer for it. Because heaven knows I cannot write a screenplay. That's a whole different art. Yeah, I know. I have enough problems. Well, all my short stories have different characters. And this next book, yeah, I, I, yeah they're all different. It's not, there's not about one thing. <laughs> and the first one is, um, the new one is Mrs. Gold and what she did. Another one is a girl, uh, she just joined a Raggedy Ann doll. And the Raggedy Ann doll got back at her because I love Raggedy Ann. Um, there's oh, another one of a, of a person that 
uh, is a is a nutritionist, and rather than give the people that she's working with something that's healthy, she's giving them something that makes them gain weight, and what you see what the mirror does to her. That's just Gosh. part of my book. Oh, you do come up with some interesting ideas. Good heavens, I just, I just wish that you I could about ideas figure out what morning. to do. And my editor died, and my other editor disappeared. So if I ever oh, write God. it, I'm going to have to figure out who's going to fix my grammar. I don't do grammar and spelling. That's it. I don't care be bothered with that. So tell everybody where they could get all of your books and short stories and everything, because this has been the highlight of my morning. Thank goodness. Oh, you're wonderful. It's been the highlight of my morning, too. It's great to meet you, Fran. <laughs> I've known of you for a long time, but it's a great pleasure to meet you. And you conduct a good interview. I feel I feel like we're sitting in our in our living room and we're just having a chat. And you you produce that kind of atmosphere. Um, in terms of where they can find the books, uh, I guess anywhere. Uh, Deadly Depths and the six previous uh, stories, the Michael Shane, Mike Shane, Lex Devlin stories, are all available through, of course, Amazon. And uh, the previous six are available in Kindle, in every, mm. in every form as. But most of them have been recorded. I think all the first six have been recorded for audio books. And um, uh, I believe that Ocean View is now interviewing people to record uh, Deadly Depths. Out in oh, nice. Form. But any, anywhere books are sold, um, it uh, should be available. We were, we were delighted to hear uh, when, we, when we were checking with... Um, some of the when we're checking with some of the bookstores that Lois has lined us up. Lois is the greatest agent in the world. She's my business manager as well as everything else in my life. But anyway, she lines us up with uh, bookstores in book talks, which will begin tomorrow night. In lining up the uh, in lining up the um, uh, the books available, we found that son of a gun, the first printing sold out. And that is, that's uh, so fantastic. That's a, it is. Then they went to the second printing. When we checked again, the second printing sold out. So uh, wow. we're now they're into the third, and we're we're absolutely delighted with that. So basically, where can they find the books? Just about anywhere. And uh, boy, I, I really appreciate you doing this with me this morning, friend. This oh, been a this has made my day. You know, something. Somebody said something to me the other day, and I said I do this because I don't have to. I do this because. <laughs> I I want to, and then there was a lady. I don't know if she's she's still alive. April Robin, that called me when I first wrote my first book, and she said, "Why don't you read the story on my radio show?" And I go, "You got to be kidding me!" So I ad libbed it and I made it funny, and then she gave me my own hour on her on her station, and then I decided I wanted to try something different. And I decided to go out on my own. And MJ is after my sister, Marsha Joyce. I named it after her. So that oh, my she, God. Yeah. It's it's her. And it's her fault. And she said to me, she she listened to the show. She said, you read too fast. What's wrong with you? I go, I knew that you would criticize me. That's fine. But, yeah. <laughs> but th- this is oh, great. Everybody, this is, everybody get deadly depth. Seriously. Um, I'm going to tell everybody wherever I go. I tell everybody, as a matter of fact, I put it on my on my Facebook wall, the books that I felt for this month were the best ones. So it's there. Oh, that's great. Boy, you're beautiful, Fran. Thank you so much. You're Thank a delight you to be so with. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great day. The sun is shining and it's not even hot outside. Have a great day and bye. Bye-bye, Fran. Thank you so much. God bless you. <laughs>